your story and humanity's story is the story of a successful escape from God. It was the most unsuccessful successes in the history of the cosmos. And because we succeeded at escaping from God, we are left in the hot, wandering, wilderness desert, scorching the bottoms of our feet, unsatisfied. The irony of humanity's story is that we are longing to escape from what we escaped to. And that's why no matter what your situation is, no matter how good it has gotten, the next day it seems like still it's not enough. You still have this discontentment that continues to plague you, even if you get the thing that you've been chasing after. And so my plan for today is to help you move from a discontented escapism to a present contentment. So we're in our series called The Gospel, which means good news. The gospel is not advice about how you should live, but news about something that has been done for you. And news about something that is currently right now, even in this moment, being done for you. And news about something that one day will be done for you and fully accomplished. And the great mistake that people make is they find the gospel... Or they find part of it. And this part that they have found, they said, I found this. And they see it as a diamond, this part of the gospel. And they love it and they treasure it and they hold it deeply in their heart. And it's echoing in the halls of their heart. And they're so excited about what they found in this part of Christianity. And see, what's happened here is that you, like all other people, have a wound in your life. You have pain. You have shame and guilt. And there are parts of the gospel. Because the gospel is not just a diamond, but it is a whole diamond mine. However, there's one diamond for each maybe wound that you have in your life. Or each part of guilt in your life. Or there's a diamond for your shame. And so what happens is people have found a part of the gospel. And they've said, I've found the hallmark of Christianity. The centerpiece of it all. So you take somebody who feels so much guilt in their life. And then they discover that the gospel offers a completely new record. And they say, I found it. This is everything. This is the heart of Christianity. But then you take someone else who is ruining their marriage, who is ruining their their kids, who's ruining their life, and they can't seem to get it together. And then you see this part where the gospel promises transformation in your life. And it happens. And they say, I found it. This is the greatest part of Christianity. This is the hallmark of it. And then you see someone who is born crippled. And in pain because of it. And then they hear that one day they will be running with God in paradise. And they say, I found it. The greatest news. Now here's what's just happened. Each person has a different wound. And whatever that wound is, there's a a part of the gospel that heals that wound. And the key that means to life is that you're going to collect all these different wounds. So what you do is you go in the diamond mine and you collect every single one of the diamonds. You learn all about it. And you put it in your diamond bag and you go out into, into the world. 
And as you're carrying all these different parts of the gospel, when something happens in your life, you have a diamond to pull out. The key to life is to not just hold on to the one part of the gospel, the one diamond, but all of them. So, for the next five weeks, what we're doing in our series called The Gospel is we're looking at these big five events. Now, the gospel is one big event, but it's also, it could be divided into five events or five parts. So here's where we've gone from here. We took the gospel and we saw it as a union with Christ, which which means we're united to him. And that means all the things that he has done, we have now done also. He died, which means we've already died. He's risen, which means we've already risen. And these events that he accomplishes also has promises that go along with it. And what we're going to do now is we're going to get up close and personal at each of the events and the promises. So for the next five weeks, we're looking at the events. And the event today has been called by some as the greatest fact of human history. And that fact is that God has come into the world. This is known as the incarnation, God with us. The divine has opened up the door of heavens and come down to be with us. So let me read it to you. It's from John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning, we wrote God out of our story, and we wrote God out of our world, and we wrote ourselves out of his world. And there, before that, in Eden, God was incarnate among us. He was with us. We walked with him, and he walked with us, and everything was good. It was the good life. In fact, there in Eden, the Bible describes this as being good. Now, the word good in Hebrew is tov. And this word tov is a word that's packed with meaning. And you could think of it as this. The word tov has to do with life and having abundant life. Having so much life in it that it's spilling over and creating more life. So people think of Eden, and they often think of it being a perfect place, and that is wrong. It was not perfect. Perfect implies something has been brought to its end, its goal, its telos, its purpose, its mission. In the end, it's there, but this is about the beginning. So for something to be good or to be tov means it has so much life in it that it has the potential to reach perfection. So the goal, original goal of humanity, God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, take the tov, the goodness, 
the abundant life that is there in Eden and make it spill out over the gates, over the walls of Eden until this goodness covers all of the earth. That was the goal of humanity. But instead of building Eden out, we escaped from Eden. We ran from it. Why would we do that? Why would Adam and Eve do that? The same reason that you run from God today. The same reason that right now, even in this moment, you are prone to run from him. Because you don't want him to tell you how to live your life. So we, like Adam and Eve, try to escape from God and we are successful. You are successful even today. Even now in this moment, there's a part of you that's running from him. And you keep being successful at it. And it's why it leads to a life that is joyless, fruitless, loveless, meaningless, and in the end, lifeless. So, you have life, God, who is Tov, who is abundant life himself. He's the creator of life, which means if you want life, you go to him. But we keep running from him. And so we're running out into this abyss, into, the, into this abyss of death. And that's why now you are trying to escape from your life. Because you're trying to find the lost garden, and it's impossible to find. And so all you want to really do is to escape from the life that you have escaped to. It doesn't work, but you keep trying. You try to escape. It might be a great way to define what it means to be a human, is to try to escape from the world we escaped to. Alcohol is a depressant, which means it depresses your reality. So when I drink too much, the question has to be, what am I trying to escape from right now? Workaholics. Why do we work so much? Well, there's a lot of work to do, but also it could very well be that we keep our mind occupied because it's so painful to look at the reality of what this life is. And so we continue to keep our mind occupied from one thing to the next where, hey, it's time to go home today. Well, if I go home, I'm going to have to face reality, so let me just keep on working. Just another version of alcohol, another version of escapism. Take our parenting. Think about it this way. Why is it so hard for you to be present with your kids? Well, it's partly because those little gremlins are hard work. But also, well, you've just given everything that you had all day to try to escape from this world that you, you're in the desert wandering, your feet are scorched, and you just want to escape from it. And you've given everything. You haven't left any bit left over for when you got home. And then you get home and you walk into a, a place that is potentially even more exhausting than your workplace. And you walk in, and this is the place that's supposed to be the closest to Eden that you can build. Only it's the furthest from it because you walk in and all you want to do is to escape from everything. Every commitment that you have made, you just want out and you just want to be commitmentless. You want to escape. Or if you're in school, we, we have such a hard time being present with whatever it is that we're doing. 
And even the concept of school is, it's not really to learn, it's to pass a test. So you can pass the next test, so you can go on to the next grade. And after you get to the next grade, you go on to college, and after that, well, then you graduate and you get a job. But you get a job and you start all the way at the bottom, and now what do you got to do? Well, you got to pass another test to get your way up. And you're never actually present in the moment that you are in because you're always chasing something else. Because you think if you get there, you're going to get Eden. Only all it does is give you more work. We were at the pool yesterday for a party, and this little girl said, oh, my life is so hard. And I said, it gets so much better from here. <laughs> we think, though, that over the, over the hedge, over this grass is greener on the other side, if we should just get there, and we're always peeking over, never satisfied with where we are, never being present with where we are, because we're chasing something else. Why don't you really know your neighbors? Well, because maybe those little gremlins are hard work too. But it also could be because you are too busy to be present in the place where you live. And the question is, would Jesus, if he lived close, if he was your neighbor, would he know you? And I think we know that the answer is yes. And so if we don't know our neighbors, the question becomes why? Because Jesus seems to be content in a world full of discontentment, and he would know his neighbors. So why is it that we are so discontent, and why is it that we're so trying to escape, and we're so busy we don't even have time for our neighbors, for our friends, for people? To be incarnate means to be embodied in the present place and time you are in. It's to be here, right now. And right now, some of you are here and you're thinking about other things. You're not hearing what I'm saying. And some of you just started listening because you think I'm calling you out, but I'm not. You just haven't been present. And for some reason, well, the real reason we aren't present and we want to escape from this world is because this world sucks without God. But we make the same mistake over and over again. We try to escape from this world by not actually going to God, but going to something else. And you know, when we do that, all we're doing is changing the scenery of the desert. We're just looking out at the desert, and we see a mirage, and we go running to it, thinking it's going to deliver for us, only we find that it's dry. It's burned up. There's nothing there to offer us to quench our thirst. And You know, you look at little, little kids, and they, they seem so happy, and you look at old men and they seem so bitter and cynical and why is that well little kids still have hope in the mirage that's over there and old men world are cynical and bitter because they have tried to dip their feet in too many mirages and their toes have been burned so the question is is there any hope and the answer is there is one hope the incarnation of God. This is where, while we wrote God out of our story, and we wrote ourselves out of God's world, God has been relentlessly writing himself back in. Jesus is called the Word made flesh. We read, we read that. Now, this word for word in Greek is logos, which means the meaning of life. That's one of the ways to understand this word. What it's saying is, in the beginning was the meaning of life, and the meaning of life was with us. 
And then the meaning of life made flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, we're trying to find meaning in this life. We're trying to find purpose. We're trying to find value. We're trying to find something that we can wrap our hands around and make us feel like we can be present here in the moment. To be present with him is to be present with contentment because he is life itself. And when you're discontent, it's because you're not happy with your life. But if you have him and he is life and abundant life and tove life, well, you find contentment. To have all the treasure of the world and to not have him is to live in poverty. But we aren't looking for God, so he comes searching for us. It's like there's this book of your life and you are writing one thing and God keeps being pesky and he keeps scratching out what you're writing and he keeps writing himself back in. And you write him out and he writes himself back into the story. I've heard of an author who was writing a novel in this series of novels and she started writing about this character, this man, and over time as the character developed she fell in love with the idea of this man. And so what she ended up doing is writing her own self into the story so she could be with this man. And, well, this is, this is imagination, but when God writes something and he speaks something, it happens and it comes into existence. And that is exactly what we have in Christianity. He has come and he's written himself into your story. In one sense, you are telling your own story. And this mysterious character keeps showing up and you keep writing this mysterious character out, but you keep finding him there, hidden in the pages, saying, where did he come from? It's God, and he's chasing you down in a very strange and mysterious way, but that's what he does. And another way to see this is, is God has given you some power to be the author of your life. But you know what? You keep writing a tragedy. You keep writing the story of you running away from good stuff from God. And so eventually he takes the pen away and he says, let me show you how this is done. And he writes the story that moves from a tragedy to a beautiful story of redemption, a story of love, a story of peace, and a story of joy. But still, he continues to fight his way into your story and you continue to reject him. Our verses say that he wrote himself into the story and the world around him rejected him. He came to his own and his own rejected him. And even after you become a Christian, you continue to do this constantly. Let me show you. So to be present with God is to be present with life. The ultimate version of what it means to live. But let's be honest we are very rarely present with God. That's why you're discontent. But you don't believe going to him will make you content. And even when we do, to him, do go to him, we go to him to give us something that we want more than him, which is just another version of a rejection of him. It's like an orphan going to a king who's ready to adopt this orphan, but the orphan asks, this king for a loaf of bread. God is always the prize, not what he can offer us. Or it's like a girl who never felt loved. She meets a king who's ready to pledge his hand in marriage to her. She says, no one will ever love me. She walks away. It's like, uh, 
Well, whenever you don't recognize God as the prize, the ultimate prize, you're rejecting him. And you're exchanging him for lesser things. When you pray and you can't stay, keep your attention focused on him, you know you do it. And you know what you're doing in that moment? You're rejecting him. And you're exchanging your attention for things that are far less than him. Another version of rejection. That's like walking into the king's chamber, setting an appointment to meet with this king. And when you sit down to meet with the king, you open up your phone and you're going through social media, interested in other things, until he, out of grace, knocks your phone out of your hand so you will have attention fixed on him. And he says, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm what you want. What are you searching for? I'm right here. This is what life is like. When life gets difficult, it could very well be God knocking, knocking the phone out of your hand getting your attention. Maybe it's a little bit painful, but maybe you need it. It's like, it's like God pinching you to remind you, I'm here. I'm what you're looking for. Stop looking in all these other places. We are more present with our bank accounts than we are present with God because we think money will give us Eden, but no amount of money will give you Eden. Or, think about this, we put profits over people, and then we're surprised when a building collapses, because what's really happened is, yes, the government codes were lived up to, but there's another code that God wants you to live by, and you live by that code the more you're present with him, and that is put people over profits, put love as your main law, your main guide, and if you are then you're going to see people in a building and then you're going to see those people as those that you ought to be caring for, not people that you can get money from. But that doesn't happen unless you go and are present with the God who is love. We're more present with our politics than we are with God. And then we get upset when the government doesn't give us what we want. All the while we have God right there screaming at us, I'm everything that you want. Stop getting mad at the government. It's your fault you're not happy. I'm right here and I'm everything that you need. So just come to me. But we get lost in news. We get lost in endless debates. We're more present with our weekends and our lifestyles because we think that they're going to give us some escape from the world. But at the end we find ourselves just as discontent as we were at the end of the weekend than when we were at the beginning. These are all rejections of God and rejections of Him writing Himself in your story. So what should you do? Well, when He does show up in your story, embrace Him with all of your heart. He is here, and he's written himself in. So look for him. Look for him here in the church. Look for him as you open up your Bible, looking at the story of him rescuing you, him longing to be with you. Look for him in each other. Look for him in other stories of other people and how they're finding God, and you will find God through them as they're finding him because he is with them, and when you are with them, then you can be with God. And when you do find him, Don't let him go. Because when you're finding him and you're feeling the sense of his presence, in that moment, right then, you're in a chapter where he is making himself known. Take advantage of it as much as you can. Because there's going to come a chapter where he doesn't feel as present to you. And you're going to wonder why it's happening. Well, you might not know why it's happening. 
It could be that he wants you to learn to seek him in a new way. It could be that he wants you to find him in a way that you haven't found him before. It could be that it looks like you're about to run away from him. So he steps back so you know a little bit about what it feels like so you don't run from him. And it could be right now that you are seeking him with all of your might and you're not finding him. But he's still there with you. In fact, what it might be is that he's all the way there at the bottom. And you think you've hit the bottom, but you haven't yet. And once you do, you're going to discover him there at the bottom. Because God is odd. He shows up in places you would not expect him to. He's always there with the sinners. With the people you're not supposed to be with. He's there with the prostitutes at the well. Unexpected places. With the outcasts. And you know what Jesus did? When a whole bunch of people started following him and they were following him for the wrong reasons, he said some crazy stuff to run him out so that the people who really were following him would be there and they would seek to understand him. So keep seeking him, even when it sounds like he said something crazy to you. The place where he most often is is the place where you least expect it. In fact, the place where you meet him most is the place between the cross and the resurrection. The place where you feel pain, but you hope for a better future. The place where you feel hurt, but you hope for healing. The place where you feel lost, but you see a shepherd coming to get you. The place where you feel unloved, but you see there at the end of the altar... A prince who is standing there waiting to give his hand to you in marriage. It's him. The place where you feel like an orphan, but there he is there opening up the door to your room. It's the place of faith, and it's the place, this is what that is, the in-between, the place in-between. The now, the not yet. The place between the cross and the resurrection. This is the place where you are wrestling with faith and doubt. With truth and with lies. And it's not just you that's wrestling there. All of you, all of us together, we're wrestling there. And when you walk with people in their places of in-between, in the place between the cross and the resurrection, in this life, wrestling with faith and doubt, that's where you meet him too. Because he is there chasing your friends down, and when they meet him, you meet him. The place in-between. And it's there, at this place in the in-between, that you find out something. The mystery of this life becomes solved. And it's that the way up is the way down. To lose everything and have nothing is to reach for him and find that in him you have everything. The lowest places are where the best wells are. And it's in those places that he waits for you. He is called, Jesus Christ is called a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And he lived a life of sorrow so that he could be with you in your sorrows. He was tempted to the point of death on a cross so that he could be with you in your greatest temptations. Incarnate among you. He became a man who wandered so that in your wandering you might find him because he's already there in your wandering. And he became an orphan to be with us orphans so he could lead us back to our father in Eden. 
And he became sin so that he could be with us sinners, even in our sin, even when we're at our worst, even when it seems like God would want to have nothing to do with us, he's there to bring us up out of it. He went to the cross to meet you in your suffering and your hurt and your pain and in your tears. And he went into death so that you wouldn't have to be there alone in death, but would have a hand there to take hold of that could lead you up out of death. And he rose from the grave so that here in this life, in this hopeless life, you would have hope when it seems like it would be impossible. And then he ascended into heaven. And as he's ascending into heaven, he says, I'm sending you my spirit so my spirit will dwell in you, in Eden. Eden is meant to be a temple of God where the presence of God is known. That means you become a little temple. You become a little Eden where God is. And he's there right now at the door of heaven waiting for it to open so he can come rushing down to be with you again and make this world the way that it's been meant to be. So when you are discontent, simply go to him. Your Eden away from Eden, your home away from home. He's writing himself into your story. All you have to do is look for him. And when you find him, hold him tightly because he is your refuge and your strength, your very present help in trouble. He's with you. Let's pray.